Well, welcome back to part two of compensation. So uh, if you haven't listened to part one, we really kind of laid some foundation, got into quite a few topics uh, about compensation. Some of those we might touch on a little bit again in part two. But I think what we want to kick off with here, Ethan, is uh, you were telling me about a a study that that you were looking at. Uh, They did a, a survey at a large organization uh, and got some direct feedback from what the correspondents actually wanted. Uh, according to the survey, what they wanted for compensation. Why don't we actually uh, kick it off with with that? Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I say good just because I think it brings in a point about compensation that uh, managers, owners, supervisors need to be very, very aware of because I think too often worry we don't realize um, the lack of trust that are really in organizations and so the 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 surveys when they they uh, pulled the employees trying to understand um, when they were going to do some additional compensation because they had had a good year um, how how best the employees wanted it to kind of be disseminated and mm-hmm. and they were looking at you know just a cost of living they looked at potentially having some of it as flex, meaning that supervisors and managers could um, use some discretion on how to give it versus merit and things like that mm-hmm. with that flex, okay? And, and then, um, and then of course, they uh, larger organizations generally have to do a little bit with uh, equity-based to, you know, balance some things out where there's um, areas that are lower, et cetera, or or employees that are almost making as much as managers. Which, which, which I, I do want to talk about that. Um, I, I mean, I'm going to let you wrap up your thoughts here, but don't let me forget that I want to talk about that for smaller businesses and okay. modeling modeling some of those uh, ideas. Yeah, okay. So when they when they do this anonymous survey um, of the employees, there was, a, there was a fairly large number that replied, so it was enough that it was statistically valid. Okay. And... Um, the employees all said that no, we want we want whatever you're going to give. We we don't want anything to go to flex. Give it all as a cost of living, mm-hmm. okay? And which basically shows that there was no trust uh, between the employees and supervisors or managers. That that if if things were done right, the, the reality of it is uh, you know something with some flex could be more beneficial to those that are productive and just not not just highly productive, just productive, you know, doing, okay. you know, okay. meeting their job requirements. Does it make sense? Cause if you're doing your job, uh, everyone loves you. It's, you know, when you start to slack a little bit or people start to have to pull a little bit of your weight and things like that, or they notice, you know, you, maybe you're showing up late that, you know, and then they get mad. But anyways, so I found it really interesting that, that, um, as much as the supervisors, when they were kind of questioned about it, they said, Oh no, we wanted to do flex because we think we could have rewarded our employees uh, more based around equality and equity type issues for those that deserved merit and other things like that. But the employees didn't feel that their supervisors would make the right recommendations. And so they just, they were, you know, they, they wanted the whole amount, you know, and I, you know, you and I talk about, and you've shared it a few times and you, maybe you want to talk about more kind of that kid with the marshmallow type principle, you know? That yeah. Yeah. So 
that that's that's something that's come to mind. But I want I want to point something out first um, that I think is kind of interesting. And we talked about this in part one. Was if you go for a cost of living and it's a straight percentage, the you know the management, the upper paid uh, employees, you know they score, they time. score. But everyone who's down at the bottom, who's kind of trying to work their way up, they really get significantly disadvantaged. It kind of widens yes. the gap. And so it's fascinating that in this study, uh, you would look at and and you know. So correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding from what you explained to me uh, through this study was that there wasn't a distinction between uh, the upper paid. Uh, employees and the lower paid employees, everyone wanted to just take the cost of living. And so the lower paid, they weren't looking at it and saying, oh, hey, this could be a good opportunity for me. Instead of getting a 50 cent an hour raise, I really could, you know, earn some merit-based pay and start to actually make a difference in my salary. Yeah. Instead of giving everyone across the board something like 2% and then have 2% that was... um, flexible that I could allocate that other 2% somewhere else. So think about it. If I took 2% from a couple people who were already on the high end earning, mm-hmm. okay, and I applied it, I could probably give a lower person now, you know, making 45,000, you know, just barely getting by 6% instead of 2%. Yeah. Okay. Now, now they're, now they're going from 45 to 50,000. Now they have a little bit of breathing room. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead everyone was fighting. No, 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 no. Get, everyone gets 2.5. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they lose, they significantly lose. And, and we'll ignore the fact that your quick math was completely off. I know it was. <laughs> I just made up numbers. <laughs> but, uh, so I, 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 I want to bring up, uh, the marshmallow, uh, study the, that you yeah. had mentioned, uh, because this is the other thought when you were telling me about this, I immediately went to this marshmallow study that's, it's been duplicated many times. I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, and the basic premise is this. They'll take kids, uh, usually pretty young kids, you know, I would guess maybe five, six-year-olds, and they will put them sitting down at a table, and they'll put a marshmallow in front of them, you know, one of these big marshmallows. And they'll tell them, they'll say, you can have this marshmallow now, or if you wait, and it's, I don't know how long, five, ten minutes or something. Yeah, how long? If, if you wait, we'll give you ten marshmallows, you know. Uh, or like a chocolate cake or something like that. You know, so, something significantly better. And the the study has shown time and time again that most kids will take the instant gratification and they'll eat the marshmallow. And the thing that's interesting about the study is that um, there's no, uh, to my understanding, there's no difference between children and adults. It's not like as we develop into adulthood, we gain naturally more temperance. Mm-hmm. It's that you have to work for that temperance. And so if you as, uh, you know, as an employee are looking at a situation, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll only take a 2% cost of living with an opportunity to get an extra, you know, 5 10% merit-based pay. And, you know, according to the, yeah. the, the study that you're looking at here, no one wanted that. You know, everyone wanted the immediate, no, just, just give me the 3% cost of living and, you know, let's, let's forget that, that whole potential opportunity. Right. right. Well, yeah, give me, yeah, give me the 3% versus potentially if I, if I trusted my supervisor and I knew that he knew my situation, he knew that I was doing my job 
And in most, because, you know, I'm a believer. You you know that we've talked about this a long time. I It blows me away whenever someone does across the board compensation, just a flat percentage, mm-hmm. because everyone on the top gets a huge amount of a lion's share mm-hmm. that the bottom doesn't get because right. 3% on 100,000 is a lot different than 3% on 40,000. Right, right. It's a huge difference. Right, right. Yeah. So. So it always blew me away that why why would you just do across the board because those on the upper end are they don't need the same amount in order to have the same amount of satisfaction does it make sense mm-hmm. you could give them half of that and it's still a decent increase because of it's such a large amount based off of a percentage versus those on the bottom it's you know yeah. which so this is going to bring up a point that uh, I recommend and I know that there are different viewpoints on this and this really is an opinionated kind of statement and so uh, I can't say definitively that this is the best way to go, but this is this is my personal belief. And that is that there's nothing wrong with a salary cap of just stating, hey, you know what, this particular position, and we talked about this in, yeah. in episode, uh, you know, in that first part, but um, what I'm hinting at here is slightly different. And that is I'm saying that when you get some people that are in these really high dollar management positions, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, you know what, you already make enough, you know, like we're going to focus our raises and our compensation on the bottom, you know, the bottom portion. And I don't think there's anything wrong with parking someone in management that, you know, doesn't get an increase for five years. At some point, cost of living does, you know, catch up and you need (laughs) to do something about that. But, you know, and it's funny because those in the upper end say, well, yeah, but that's not kind of cool. I should still get something for my efforts. And I, and I agree with that. But here's the irony of it as well. When companies do layoff, who's the first one to be laid off? Well, it depends. It's either the most expensive employee, the newest employee, or the guy that you've been trying to get rid of forever. Right. But a lot of times it's that management area where you you know, they, I, they're getting paid a lot. I can if get rid I, of one guy or I can get, get rid, rid of three. three. That's right. And I'm like, well, bye to the one. That's right. And so that's very, very common. Um, so, you know, you a lot of times you say it's not fair. Well, yeah, but guess what? It can be severely unfair otherwise too because, you know, uh, anyway, so it, it's a crazy, I mean, it's really an interesting discussion when you talk about compensation. But ultimately, I, I truly believe that if, if compensation is done right, and I, and I do like the model that the, the, the study of the company and the study was talking about that, hey, look, they had, in theory, you, you have a, a lower just cost of living that everyone gets, mm-hmm. okay? And then you have some flex in there, and then you work with, you know, the high performers, those that maybe because, you know, especially if you look at today, um, you, you know, you have uh, interest rates that are just double digits, mm-hmm. you know? So when you talk about, two percent you're not even coming close you're actually still losing money in the deal you know what i mean yeah so well so if you're on the bottom it's even worse so 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 this is interesting this is a thing that i want to uh, point out what i'm ultimately going to get to here is talking about perks and start compensating with perks uh, as opposed to with dollars so um now i'm going to give uh some stats on a study but you've got to recognize that this study is going to vary depending dramatically on where you live. And so I'm not stating this as this is, you know, these are the numbers. I'm saying these are the numbers for where I live. So here in the state of Utah, and mind you, the last time that I I read a report on this was pre-inflation. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to account for inflation, you got to account for cost of living and all those kinds of things. So your studies totally... No, no, no. It's amazing. (laughs) This is the... (laughs) 
was going to say worthless, <laughs> but I will give you the benefit of the doubt. The, the concept <laughs> will not change, okay? All right. All right. So at the time that I read this study, it stated that in the state of Utah, $70,000 as a household income was the basic amount that you needed to have in order to feel like you were not on a tight budget. Okay. And so anything below $70,000 was considered that, you know, you could still survive. Uh, right. And the interesting thing is at the time of the study, I believe the median household income was in the mid-55s, which wow. I know. I'm like, that's crazy. Have you ever looked at all those median household incomes? Well, but I also say Utah's an anomaly in some ways because they've had a high demographic of uh, in a family where only a single individual is out in the workforce. And that's why the disclaimer of saying you got to look at this study, you know, if you're in San Francisco and you're it's thinking, different. yeah, $70,000 is not going to cut it in San Francisco. Yeah, that's I actually true. was talking with a, a business owner once and um, his, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the specifics, but he owned a software company in San Francisco and uh, his annual income was over a million dollars. And he told me, he's like, yeah, we're saving up to buy a house. Yeah. You're saving yeah. up to you, buy a house? Well, no, I just read something <laughs> recently that inside of the, I think it said San Francisco city limits, which I don't, I don't know San Francisco well enough to know city limits versus county or whatever else. Yeah. Inside of San Francisco city limits, the average house cost was 1.2 million. Yeah. yeah. That's unreal. <laughs> So. I mean, and this was for like a 2,000 square foot home. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I mean, which is, which is, it's good size, but it's still modest. Right. And, and, and so, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. Conceptually, this study that, I, that I'm citing right here uh, is wow. not, it, it varies dramatically. But the point that I really want to get at is from 70,000 to about, it was the low 100,000s, there was no significant difference in lifestyle. Uh, the only difference was, so people still did the same kind of vacations. They bought the same kind of cars. They bought the same kind of clothes. They did the same kind of entertainment. But, but Raiden, and what's interesting with your same thing though, if you remember in that first episode, we talked about uh, the tax increments. See, there's one rate of, I think it's 90,000. Mm. So all of a sudden you, you bridge that and now you're, you lose you're, it. You're, you're paying more in taxes, yeah. you know? And so it really was, it was stating that it's like, look, you might have a slightly nicer house, but your quality of life really doesn't change all that much. And so you've got to realize that when you're dealing with compensation, so at the lower marks, you know, if you bump someone from 40000 to 50000 that's huge. But if you bump someone from 100000 to 110000 It's not. They're like, okay, they do the exact same thing. You know, they don't go out and, and really change their lifestyle. So at some point, and I'm not just talking about the fact that percentages change. I'm talking about the fact that their buying power, they already have, you know, you, you have to increase compensation significantly to move them into a different buying power Correct. bracket. Correct. And, and so um, with that... When you start compensating those upper management positions that are clearing $100,000, then I look at it and I say, well, what can you do in terms of perks and, you know, quality of life? What can you give them that's non-monetary? Uh, you know, when I see a lot mm -hmm. of people that they'll do like a company vehicle, a company phone, a company okay. computer. Season it, tickets to a major 
you know, major league sports team. Yeah. And, and it's so funny because it's like, okay, so, you know, your cell phone, you're paying between 50 and a hundred bucks a month on that thing. Right. So let's just average that out to a thousand dollars a year. Yeah. That's not that much. No. And people yeah. get all excited. Oh, yeah, my, my company pays for my phone. I'm like, yeah. it's a thousand dollars at most. <laughs> You know, it's not really significant, but perks go a long way. And so if you're in a situation where you're looking at, you know, you've got someone who's already making $150,000 and you, you know, instead of giving them a 3% cost of living, you could just give them a cell phone stipend and say, thank you. And they'd probably be just as excited and you save, you know, a few thousand dollars because it's cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree that there are many other perks that can be done for compensation that are outside of uh, salary and benefits. Yeah. Okay. I want to get into work ethic on the side of the employee. Okay. Okay. So this is the thing that I said at first. I'm like, Hey, remind me to get to this. Uh, So interestingly enough, um, people will ask for what they think they are worth. And if you have someone who's constantly, you know, poking you like, Hey, I need to raise. Hey, I need to raise. Hey, I need to raise. Uh, there are a couple things that are going on. One, they don't know how to budget. And so they keep, <laughs> I'm serious. I, I've dealt with a lot of people that I'm like, Hey, you know what? You just don't know how to manage your personal life and it's not my problem, you know, but you'll also have a lot, a lot of other people who they value themselves at a higher number. And it's funny because numbers are so arbitrary. Right. right. You know, right. people put a number on themselves. They're like, I'm worth it. Do, do you believe what he offered me? I'm like, it honestly has nothing to do with you. It just has to do with what, you know, his financial statements were. And and so. Um, or what the industry is paying in general. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, looking at it from the employee's side. Uh, so there's a lot of employees. Your goal as a manager is to try and get that balance as close to. Uh, as, as close to center as possible. I, I don't even know the, the word for it, but basically if you underpay someone, they're not going to stay with you. If you overpay someone, they're not going to stay with you. And what ends up happening right. is as you overpay them, they start to think differently about the position, about their role and, and their you know, worth to the company. Yeah. And all of a sudden their decisions are worth more. It's like, why aren't you listening to me? Because I'm paid this much. And, you know, and yeah. they might not say it that way, but right. they start to think that, right. oh, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm worth more. And it, it can cause problems to overpay, you know, for, for a position. Now here's the other thing. So we were talking about the uh, standards that large companies put in place where they say, okay, here's the range for this position. And it's very typical. I don't know of any major organization that doesn't do that. But your small businesses, I see them you know, fly (laughs) by the seat of their pants constantly. You know, they'll hire someone and they'll bring them on the management team and then they'll hire someone else two weeks later, and for whatever reason, that person's making a bonus thirty thousand dollars that the other guy wasn't offered. Right, right. And so, 
<laughs> you know. So then getting back to this concept of, you know, people think they are worth, you know, they have an idea of what they're worth. Well, if they find out that they're underpaid, they're going to start underperforming. They're going to be like, well, you know, I mean, he's really the, the go-to because he's the one making all the money. And yeah. it, it's funny how our perception of compensation changes our performance. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Wait, well, which is also why, um, and, and to make the point very valid, is that in, when you get on the sales side of everything, why do you think it's commission-based? Yeah. It's because of that principle right there. Mm-hmm. Which the stupid thing about commissions is most commissions are actually just being at the right place at the right time. <laughs> they are. I mean, there are good salespeople out there that really know how to drum up a deal. But I'll tell you, the best salespeople know how to just get to there. They just know how to stand at the right place at the right time mm-hmm. because they'll see a deal coming, and you know, like they just mm-hmm. they just want to make sure that their fingers in that in that pot, and <laughs> you know. And so you got to be careful if if you're doing commission based. Like, what is your method to ensure that people aren't just positioning themselves well, that they're actually going out and selling, not just, you know, cherry-picking the best customers or cherry-picking the best situations? And I kind of say, what does it matter if they're they're doing great, you know? Because then they're stealing from someone else. Yeah, potentially. I oh oh uh, okay. Sorry, you just hit me on a trigger here. <laughs> Sweet. So, I've seen a lot of sales teams that you'll have a very qualified salesperson who they take more of a casual atmosphere, uh, casual approach, and they're just like, you know what, I'm just going to go out, and I'm just going to do my job. And then you have aggressive salespeople that they're cherry picking. And that aggressive salesperson is going to cherry pick off the work of the better salesperson who doesn't have as an aggressive of a personality, and it starts to cause problems. Now, this is not always the case. I would say this is more of a rarity than a standard. So, uh, you know, judge accordingly within your own organizations. But, uh, yeah, you got got to watch. You got to have some checks and balances to make sure that you don't just have cherry pickers on your sales team that, you know, they just know how to position themselves, but they don't necessarily drum up the best sales yeah. opportunities. Yeah. So I want to want to change uh, just a little bit and talk about... You should, because I'm on too many rants. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. I like it when you rant. Especially, well, some of the ones on the sidelines are better, but... Um, <laughs> so talking about equity, uh, just recently uh, working with a small company and specifically, you know, it was just one individual inside of the organization, a startup company, a bunch of them get together. Um, You know, what the investments of each one was a little bit different, but when it was said and done, it was kind of like the attitude, all right, everyone kind of gets an equity investment in the company. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Years go by, the individual wants out of the company because it, you know, just wasn't, it wasn't really doing what it thought. And he, you know, they thought they were putting in uh, more work than what they should have been. But the only way they could get their thing out of it was through the equity. Okay. okay. Um, so what are your thoughts on, you can kind of see how this is really, I, I mean, all right. So putting it out there, I hate anything that deals with compensation via equity. Hate it. Now, when you say hate it, you hate it because it's messy or you hate it because you think it shouldn't be done? 
uh, it's messy. Okay. I, I, very few places, for instance, if the company is established and they're a strong company and they're going to give you equity in the form of stocks that at some point in time I can sell. Oh, yeah. But too many, especially, you know, I, I just read a headline right now that um, Utah has more startup unicorn companies than anywhere in the nation. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I'm going, you know how many people that on the front end of it where they were trying to attract a few key people to make it happen that they're, it's all based on equity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, hoping that it goes big and it sells off. So I'm going to put in all of my time and effort with the hope that some person knows the right person that we can sell it off and make a million dollars, you know, or whatever, you know, and tens of millions nowadays. But, but okay. I, so I, I always get really nervous when people start saying, yeah, but I think I should just offer people equity, but and from both sides, it's ugly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm I'm gonna take you. We're we're gonna go around the block to go next door. Like that's that's my way of saying that this is gonna be a little bit of a long tangent for a second. So I apologize. That's how I, that's how I feel. How equity works. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna go around the block to get next door. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I got a degree in finance, corporate finance from Westminster College. And I'll tell you, the most important thing that I learned from uh, my four years in college was that your financial analysis will be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's an important thing to learn and to understand is that your financial analysis will be wrong. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a that little is, correlation here for a second. That, I've never heard anyone say it in that way but that is so profound at so many levels even i can't tell you how many because you know both about you and i have worked with companies at every level from mm -hmm. startup to existing and and i have yet to have any company actually uh produce a financial projection that was 100 percent accurate three years later Give me 80% accurate, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're usually way off, and they, the wheels fall off the bus in three months. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, I, and I put it on the table, even though uh, the decision was made, made off of fairly credible data. Correct. That's what's, that's what's scary about what you're saying, is that it wasn't just guessing. Well, there was, there's a lot of guessing out there. There is some guesswork there. in there, but... But there was actually some data behind it that was kind of driving why they thought this scenario would play out. And there, there are two types uh, okay, of guessing. Okay, keep going. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> there, there are two types of guessing that, uh, that I see with financial statements. There is, uh, we say educated guessing, but right. it's basically I take the information that I have and I make the best decision that I can make. And then there's lazy guessing where it's I'm like going what my gut says. Yeah, I, I don't feel like actually taking the time to do the work. And so I'm just going to make something up. Right. So anyway, what I learned in, you know, that four year degree of getting, uh, you know, a degree in finance was that all financial uh, assumptions are wrong. And I, I, I want to put it into this perspective for a second. If you look at, um, you know, like you go with the whole Babe Ruth analogy uh, where 
Babe Ruth struck out more times than he hit home runs. Right, right. Okay, and and this has been used a lot in sports where it's like you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Right, And, right. Uh, you know, I love – one that's really fascinating is you look at Michael Jordan, how many times he was given the ball for a uh, – Game-winning shot. Game-winning shot and missed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 20 or 30 times that that happened to – I don't know the exact number, but it was enough. It was that, high. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, – so, Anyway, with financial analysis, the idea is to say that you will miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And so not doing financial analysis guarantees that you will be wrong. Doing the financial analysis, you'll still be wrong, but it changes things a little bit. And what it changes it for is it gets rid of the really bad mistakes. And so when you start talking about equity... I'm telling you up front, whatever number you guys agree upon is the wrong number. Whatever (laughs) number you guys agree upon is the wrong number. But by doing a financial analysis, you can at least get rid of the really bad numbers Mm -hmm. and only have to deal with the not so good numbers. Oh, and so that that that's kind of my my first. I I have another thought here, but uh, no, please go do your other thought. Okay, okay. So you're talking about equity compensation and you're like, you know, what, uh, what, what, what do I, you know, how do I do equity compensation? And I had a moment where, so <clears throat> I, I'm doing some business consulting and I have two uh, husband and wife combos. So four people, you know, husband, wife, husband, wife come into the office. The husbands are best yeah, friends. That was the partnership. Uh, well, no. So the husbands are best friends. They want to do a partnership, and then they're going to hire their wives to help out in the business. Oh, wow. And I look at them, and I just say, hey, do you guys like the fact that you're all friends right now? They're like, yeah, we love it. I'm like, then don't do this. Cause like, if you want to stay friends, yeah, don't do this. Oh, yeah. And they're just like, no, no, no. We're such good <laughs> friends that this – within a year, they weren't talking to each other. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I'm and, surprised it took a year. <laughs> I said within a year. It wasn't actually a full year. I think it was like eight months. And so the uh, you know the thing is, is when you get into equity, you will get screwed over. Your partner will get screwed over. And you've got to ask yourself, what am I willing to risk? And how much tolerance mm-hmm. will I have? How many times am I okay getting screwed over before I'm going to call it quits? And that's how I look at those equity deals. They're not bad, but just know you, you're you going to pick the well, wrong number. You're going to get screwed over. Are you okay with this? Yeah. Yeah, it is going to change. But you have to remember, if I'm going into it and someone's offering me equity, uh, I'm going to be nervous. But the flip side of it is if I'm a person offering equity, um, do I really want to give up that much ownership of my company? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, if if things do pan out the way that we hope that they would, you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you've just given up a lot of ownership and, and at the very least, if you don't at least retain 51%, you're going to get ousted. Well, I I've mean, seen it. I've seen time and time again where four people go into it and the main person with the idea, the brains behind it could make it actually happen. It matures out and they're, and then they get, uh, and for whatever reason, they get a little bit you know, sideways with the partners and the four partners oust them out of the business totally. And there's nothing they can do about it. So, so I love, okay, Napoleon sold, I think it was Thomas Jefferson, uh, Louisiana. It was the Louisiana Purchase to fund his war in Europe, right? Yeah. At the time, 
Europe was where everything was happening. Right. And so he's just like selling off this. Mm -hmm. He's like, I don't care. <laughs> Look, you want the land, it's yours. Yeah. And so he sells it for, you know, super cheap. I don't remember what it was. It was like some, you know, like a million or two million bucks for all of this acreage, which turned out to be really good land, mm -hmm. you know. And, and so, uh, you know, when you talk about like the, the, the whole idea of equity and saying, do you really want to give up your company at the time when you're fighting a war in Europe, you don't notice that, hey, you know, half of this land in the U.S. is worth a lot. You're right. just trying to scrape right. by and make something work now, right. you know, but have some patience and just look at it and say, okay, I'm going to hold off, you know, I'm, I'm going to be okay with just, you know, controlling half of Europe. I don't have to control all of Europe <laughs> and I'm going to keep my land over in mm -hmm. the uh, American colonies, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, is that... Ultimately, I think when it comes down to it, we both agree that equity is just a little bit messy. So be very, very careful with it. It, it does work out. Um, and for a lot of people, it's turned out really well. But I can tell you for every person that it works out for, there's two to three that it was just ugly. And can, can I, I, I really want to clarify when I say you're going to get screwed over. Um, like what I mean is there will be a time where you're working for free. There will be a time yeah, where yeah. you are doing something that wasn't part of your understanding of the agreement. Uh, there will be a time where you're taking on risk that you weren't planning on taking on. Those are the things that make it messy. Well, and, that, and that's exactly the case it was with this gentleman that I was working with. Had some equity in it, had, you know, had never received a paycheck, had still you know putting in his time in the company to help grow it out. Um, wanted to cash out right now, but now there's this huge discussion about what the company's really worth and what he should be being paid out. Yeah. And of course, what do the other partners do? They're devaluing it. He's trying to upsell it. And I'm, I just looked at him and I says, look, I, I wish I had good advice for you, but you, you should have talked to me before you got into the deal. <laughs> yeah. My good advice is, uh, learn from your mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're probably going to get the short end of this of this deal. So whatever they offer you, just take it and learn from it. Yeah. You know, it's going to be pennies compared to what you should have got. I totally agree. Well, and it's kind of the same thing is, you know, everyone wants to sell their house or sell their stock when it's at its high. And I'm like, you know what? It's actually awesome to sell the day before it's at its high. Yeah. You know, it's easier to sell. <laughs> yeah. And, and so trying to time everything perfectly, I'm like, mm -hmm. is it really worth that extra, just small little tap no, like yeah. just take a huge return on investment and be grateful for it because the day that it's at its high, if you don't time that perfectly, it's crashing. Yeah, that's you right. Know? Yeah, because uh, so, it always has huge drops after it hits its high. Yeah. All right, so I have one final point that I want to make on compensation. I don't know if we've hit your list, um, but uh, do you, do you, do you want to jump in with your list or do you want me to go on? No, you keep talking. Okay, so. I'm going to just look through my notes, make sure I haven't missed anything. Okay, so the last piece of compensation that I want to go over is the actual owner compensation, compensating yourself appropriately. This gets overlooked so often, especially in startups and small businesses. Once businesses start to get established, they tend to clean this up a lot better. And so, you know, if you're established to the point that you have a legitimate C-suite of, you know, managers, then you're usually compensating the CEO appropriately. And that CEO oftentimes is the owner and, you know, it works out okay. But if I'm in a startup... 
I see so many times where you've got the the owner of the company sitting there thinking to themselves, well, you know, I'll get paid eventually. I, I'm doing sweat equity. I'm right. putting everything back into the business. And right. I'm like, that is a bad plan. I don't care if you do that if you have specific numbers behind it. So what do I mean by numbers? I look at it this way and I say, if I had to go on the open market and I had to hire somebody who was a guru at management, a guru at marketing, who understood financials, who, you know, had expertise in building whatever widget we build or expertise in providing whatever service we provide. If I had to go on the open market and hire that person, they would probably go for what, 150, 200,000 annual salary. Like they will not be a cheap employee. They would be, right. you know, one of my most expensive, if not the most expensive employee. And so as the owner, if you're expected to have that wide range of skill set, you know, then you need to compensate yourself appropriately for that. And then I always hear this. Well, it's like, I don't have it in my, I wish I could take a 200,000 annual salary, but I, I can barely keep the lights on right now, you know? And so what I say is I'm like, you can compensate yourself on paper without actually pulling the money out, but you need to understand what is it worth. Even if, okay, so let's say that you're not going to compensate yourself fully and you're like, I'm willing to take a, a reduced salary to kind of get things up and running. All right, well, how big of a reduction are you willing to take? Are you going to go down to $50,000? Great. Pay yourself $50,000. Stop working for free. And right. if you are working for free, put a deadline on it. Be like, okay, for six months, I will work for free. But after six months, if we are not hitting these milestones. Shut, shut the business down. Shut the business down, you yeah. know, or sell it for whatever you can. Right. And that, so many people don't realize that their businesses are sellable. I know. <laughs> like, yeah, that six months is worth something. You can sell that, you know, yeah. so sell it for what you can. But... Hit these milestones. Map out the milestones ahead of time. Don't just get caught in this trap. Of, I mean, I've talked with entrepreneurs. They have gone, one guy, it was seven years, and he had not pulled a salary or a paycheck for seven years. I'm like, what are you doing? Why? Yeah. Why would you stay invested in that? You know? And they're like, well, I'm just trying to get it somewhere. I'm like, guess what? It's not, not going, going there. going anywhere. <laughs> like, it is stuck in the mud. Time to say goodbye. You know, you taught a great principle years ago when we first were uh, uh, acquainted. Uh, you used a term that I've always, always remembered, and that's a zombie business. Yeah, it's, I love it's, those. It's dead, and they just don't know it. So, so the funny thing is, that guy that I was talking to, he inspired zombie business. Oh, really? Yeah, because I'm sitting there talking to him, and I'm like, dude, you're the living dead. You're the living dead. <laughs> now you coined a, coined a catchphrase zombie business yeah it's yeah. dead and you just don't know it yeah yeah it's just walking around and what do you do with zombies you take a shotgun to them yeah yeah you know? and so they they will die one way or another yeah and so uh, you've got to compensate yourself and you've got to compensate yourself appropriately and if you can't do it today What's the plan? You can you can always put a plan in place today. You right. might not have the cash flow to compensate yourself correctly, but you can put a plan in place and you can follow that plan. And if you deviate from that plan too much, it's like a budget. It, you know, I put a budget in place. <clears throat> I expect to deviate from my budget, but only by a percentage or so. You know, like I'll give myself a 10% window. And if I'm more than 10% off on my budget, then I need to redo the budget. 
you know, I don't just say, well, I put a budget together. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're, our, our expenses are double what we thought they were going to be, but we're going to just keep moving forward. I'm like, then you didn't put a budget together, actually. Right. You, you just sat around and chatted about some random numbers. That's not a budget. Yeah. Good advice. Yeah. I, and that's, that's probably in and of itself its own episode. <laughs> really? Zombie, zombie businesses and budgets? Yeah. Well, <laughs> just zombie businesses in general be just, because a lot of people don't, they don't, they aren't able to see the signs mm-hmm. that their business is dead. Well, the funny thing is, they can look like big businesses. Yeah. You know, don't be fooled that zombie businesses are only small operations. You could have, you know, a dozen employees and still be a zombie business. Right. I'll have to maybe make a note of that. That might be a fun one to just some signs. Because uh, I'm telling you, uh, when people come in and they start talking, you and I are just like, oh, <laughs> you just you just cut cut your losses right now and get out of it. But And it's funny because if you say that, you know what they always say? No, 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 no. We're almost there. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're always almost there. Yeah. And we just got to get over this next hurdle or this next milestone or this next, you know. But (laughs) you've been saying that for four years now. Mm -hmm. After two, it should have been obvious that you were a zombie business. And and the interesting thing is. Where are we going to do the episode? (laughs) I I, I know, I know. We're like moving right into it. So here's the teaser for the episode. Uh, The difference between a zombie business and a healthy business getting over the next milestone is the healthy business actually planned out the milestones and they're tracking to see how close they're following their plan. A zombie business is waiting for the milestones to just pop up. They're looking in the future. They're, They're looking out. And they're just waiting for the milestone to come. So there's no there's no plan to it. It's just kind of getting excited about, oh my gosh, we just had a big customer call us and now, you know, we've got this. And as yeah. soon as this customer comes through. If we can, if we can get them hooked up, we'll, we'll make it. We'll make it. Yep. Uh-huh. That's a zombie business right there. Yeah. You know, versus a healthy business would be, okay, our goal this year is to have four customers that are all over $100,000 in sales. And so we've identified 10 potential leads that all have the capacity to do that level of sales, and now we're going after them. And now, if we can get this one to hook up, that will be one of our four. Right. So it's the same action with a totally different strategy behind it. Yeah. No. Yeah. Compensation. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess my final thoughts, you know, wrapping up, uh, both segments of uh, this is one is uh, compensation that allows for some flexibility allows you to now structure it so that it's beneficial to those employees that are uh, good employees, mm-hmm. high performing employees um, and keep them satisfied. Um, compensation doesn't just have to be about cash. You know, it can be perks, you know, sometimes compensation should be tied to, uh, skill sets mm-hmm. as they acquire skill sets come those increases so that now they have uh, uh, you know that fourth thing I put in there and that is a clear path of how they can advance in the organization to do that one so that you know when they come knocking on and say I deserve a raise then and you can say all right let's see where you're at in your path you know what I mean yeah so there, there's some really clean things you can do 
um, to make it a very productive environment, um, have healthier discussions, more productive discussions. Would you say it's an art or a science? Probably, uh, I want to say art, but there's science behind it. That's, I'm going to say compensation is definitely an art that should be data driven. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, with that, thank you everyone for tuning in and uh, we will catch you guys next time. See ya.